Last time on Video Night. No, that's not that plot at all. What did you watch? The Control. Robo Spiders. This is not happening. So good and ugly. The same best quality. Oh, darn. Woo. And now. Video Night. Hey there, Michael. Hello. Hey, so, do you like 80s sitcoms? Mm, uh, the okay. family kind. Like Family Ties. Well, okay, so when I was a kid, yes. Uh, as an adult, no. I feel like most of those have uh, aged well. Oddly enough, Mr. Belvedere is the only one I think I can stand now. Some Family yeah, Ties yeah, is a mix. Family Ties, I don't want to say, they're more sincere, I guess. But without Yeah, being actually, Family Ties smalty. did ring true, and that other Jason Bateman one also rang true when it was... When they changed families. Oh, family. oh my god. Yeah, the one that started off at Valerie, then Valerie's family. Yeah, yeah. The Hogan family, yeah. the Hogan's. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that stuff was interesting that they were able to hopscotch like that. But the reason why I'm asking is because the movies that we're talking about, it's a franchise, Frenzy Kids, a feature Michael Gross in four of them. Well, as the main star? Because he's in all of them. But the deal is, when, the reason why I'm asking in particular about him is we grew up with family ties in particular with michael j fox and that whole thing uh-huh and he's the dad and we had maybe not to the cosby level but such familiarity with him and then we stopped watching the show because whatever the show's dead dumb lame it became uncool when we were teenagers oh no 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 no! i finished it that's the only time i've ever cried at a tv show is when family ties ended which is weird ah you and me are a little bit different you're a tv kid yeah i would totally i, kid. I was a i was a cable kid yeah i wasn't a tv kid well i also so. grew up incredibly poor and i couldn't afford cable rich boy <laughs> I wasn't even rich. It's just, you know, my dad knew how to get the cable thing. All right. Not even illegally, just legally. Money bags. <laughs> when Michael Gross pops up in this first movie, Tremors. First there was Frankenstein. Then Dracula. And the creature from the Black Lagoon. Now there's something no one's ever seen before. What the hell are they? It's big. It's mean. It's ugly. Stinks too. And worst of all, run, run! it's hungry. Makes my skin crawl. Kevin Bacon. Tremors. Rated PG-13. That was like, wow. What? He can do other things? Yeah, I, I didn't know it was him. And my mom's like, uh, is that the dad from Family Ties? I'm like, no. He has a... Okay, so at the time, I didn't realize... I can't believe at 13, I was still like, no, people have to look the same their entire career. He shaved off his beard. That is clearly not him. <laughs> Right. So, but he surprised us when he shows up. We're like, oh, okay. Now, okay, let's let's dig into the film, though. Tremors. Anybody seen it? Raise your hands. <laughs> I can't see you. Nope. Uh, podcast listeners. They are flipping you I, off. I, I, I can see them. I assume that a handful of you have, and the rest of you haven't. So, spoilers ahead, and get ready for some monster mayhem. It's good. At least the first one is. Oh, I still believe that it is the most perfect creature movie ever made. There is not a wrong note in this movie. There's never a slow part where you're just like, ugh, look at the time. And it's just so well balanced. Every character in it is, I'm not going to say intelligent. No, you, everybody has motivation. Right, Everybody right. has character. They're really thought Everybody out. is a singular character, including the most minor parts. They're unique. Good golly, you're right. And this is a movie that I had seen quite a few times. And then eventually got the DVD and never watched the DVD. Because it's one of those that I'd seen on cable and whatever. And I just want to just, you know, hold off for a while until I really get that urge. And then you instilled the urge into me again, yes. sir. This is a regular watch for uh, me. I remember my art teacher. Well, I love it. My art teacher, of it. all people, told me that this was a great movie. And I'm like, what? Because the trailers, um, I wasn't into horror movies yet. And I was just like, the movie, the giant whatever under the ground, that's a good movie. I thought Kevin Bacon was selling out by this point. And I was like, why would he make a horror movie? And even he was ashamed for a while. But then I rented it on video. And this is one of those movies that I had to go back to the video store over and over and over again. Because they only had one copy. That's about, you know. Wow. So this is your, by the way, this is one of the repeat stories that you tell. Yes. And it's always a different movie. Yeah. There's a handful of movies where I would desperately look for it at uh, whatever I had available to me. You know, it it was what, American Ninja 3? American Ninja 3 is one that I bugged a guy about. Tremors, Darkman. Monster Squad. 
Well, Monster Squad, I was bugging because I wanted to buy it. I was just pestering so I could buy a copy. But I knew exactly oh. what that was. But, you know, that's one where you had to either go to, like, a drugstore or grocery store or whatever. Because uh, the video store was right. always out. And you weren't going to get it for, like, a month or two. And I think that was a, sh- a sign right there that the movie was going to be a big hit on video. It, you know, I think it broke even in the theaters. But, you know. Dude, I think it, I think it was a successful flick in the theater, but it was, like, a sleeper. Yeah. they call a sleeper. I don't think they call things sleepers anymore. No, no. Uh, it's like That's the, weird, right? Because. They used to say it the all late the time. summer release is always like early autumn and hope it does well. Yeah. And usually it doesn't, but there's one that stands out. And I think that's what this was, even though it might have come out earlier. Yeah, and I think the other thing is that it needs to stay in the theaters for a while at the same amount of box office. Because usually, well, the rules are different now. Movies now drop off 60% from week to week, and people are like, well, that's normal. If you said that 30 years ago, that is extremely abnormal, because it, it was never like that. It was like, oh, a 25% drop, like, usually every week, unless it was a truly hideous piece of crap. Yeah, so you heard of it that way. I believe I saw this in the theater. Really lucky. I, I think I am lucky, but I don't know if I... I don't think I have the ticket stub. I have kept so many of my ticket stubs that uh, the further back in time you get, the more faded and illegible they are. I don't know why I threw mine away. I really don't. I had them in a big envelope. I saved it. The very first one I ever saved was Batman, 1989. And I started collecting them after that. And then one day I just like, well, I could just write this down and, and, and tell you all the movies that I wrote, you know, I saw in the theater. But there's something special about those tickets, and I wish I had tossed them. Yeah. Now you have apps like Letterboxd. Yeah. That you can chronicle your movie watching experience. Yeah, but there's still and something I, about. I only. Well, wait, you know what's what? missing I only is chronicle the... the thing I see in the theater. Yeah. I don't do the home video. Oh, no, that's, that's not, there's nothing special about that. This means you to, took too time much. out of your life to go out and pay for it and sit in a theater. Yeah. The reason I started collecting them in 89 wasn't because of Batman. It was the first time I'd ever seen a ticket that wasn't a generic stub. It showed you the theater, the time, the date, the price, and what movie huh. it was. And I kind of thought it was cool because a lot of those theaters closed down. You know, And the prices were completely different. I mean, I saw Batman during the day on Saturday for 3 bucks at the brand new Holiday 8, which I'm sure by now is completely closed down and become something else right and previously the tickets were just raffle tickets right Uh, almost yeah or they'd be really generic and they would just say like the theater name like regal it might say the movie but usually it didn't yeah right so i saw this somewhere in southern california and i really dug it it's pg-13 that was always a i was of age so yeah go ahead and see it and i loved it Man, like you said, everything works in this. Even but what's Melvin. the story, real dude? <laughs> Melvin, <laughs> it's like such a. You would think it would be such a poorly written character, but there, oddly enough, he has his own arc through the series too. Yeah. So what? What is the tale? Uh, basically, it's about these two guys that are doing the most low rent. Uh, it's you, you. I don't want to call it white trash work, but it's just it's real bottom of the barrel kind of work. You know, emptying septic tanks, yeah. cleaning up trash, and stuff like that. I mean, just handyman. Yeah, general a, a do all handyman. Yeah, and I think Valentine Kevin Bacon's character is more depressed than Fred Ward's character. I think there's kind of like a dopey. Just a, well, what else could I, I think, possibly do? You know? Look, I think Fred Ward. Ward's character has accepted his fate as being stuck in this dent of a town in Nevada. It's a dent. It's nothing. There's nothing going on. There's like uh, population 14 or something like that. Have they ever shown the other town, Bigsby? They're always talking about Bigsby, but they never show it. I bet you you it's just a town of like 10,000. To them, that's the city. Right, but that's a funny thing that they do in various stories is like, uh, they did that with Parks and Rec. Except they did eventually go to that Eagleton mm-hmm. in Parks and Rec. It's always the, the rival town that way. And they curse them, but you never see it. It's pretty funny. Yeah. But here, uh, some rumblings, tremors. It's called tremors. Yeah. I mean, for crying out loud, start happening in the town. And who's there to save the day? Geologist. I can't remember her name. Sorry. Finn, yeah. Finn Carter's character. I don't remember her character's name. So she's she's there just figuring out the seismology thing. And then um, our two handymen and she end up discovering why <laughs> there's earthquake happening in the middle of the Nevada desert. Why? Giant graboids. Ah, what does that even mean? Mega worms. Now, I'm trying to figure out these worms because the... Their, their bodies, once you eventually see them, are, are like worms. Yeah. Uh, like, maybe not segmented like worms, but they're long enough like worms. But the front of them, they have a beak. 
Yeah, that's the strangest part. You know, we, it's not the first time we've seen underground creatures because, you know, with Dune and Beetlejuice, but this has its own vibe to it. Who, who are the guys who made this? Aren't they the guys who did the uh, effects for Aliens with Stan Winston? Studio ADI, dude. Those guys. Amalgamated Dynamics. Okay, thank you. Those guys are great. Studio ADI. I love their work. And this is early stuff, and I've seen some behind-the-scenes stuff recently on it, on YouTube uh-huh. that they posted. And it's all miniatures, and they're all fantastic. Oh, yeah, totally. This is before CGI was a thing. Like, the miniature is as big as me. I'm 6'4", so it's maybe even bigger than me, and they just drop it off the side of a, a dirt cliff that looks like a real big cliff, and it smashes, and you're like, holy crap, that looks huge. And then there's a 5'10 guy standing next to all that. <laughs> what? Wait a minute. Yeah. It's Ultraman. What is this? But yeah, it's the, the creature design is very strange. Inside its mouth are these tendrils, a.k.a. tongues, that stretch out and grab you. Yeah, and you don't know that for a long time. You think those are the creatures. You don't realize that it's part right. of something else. They're like feelers, and those things reach out and grab you. They're like snakes. But they were just a glove, really, a glove puppet. Right. Um, Technically, those and- are the graboids, not the main creature itself. If you think yeah, about it. right? Yeah. So they go to Chang's country store where they discuss this whole thing, and eventually Chang comes up with the name for it, which is Graboids, as, the, as you've said. And I always thought Graboids was just not satisfactory. <laughs> what do you call them? Graboids! <laughs> I don't think so. Well, no, I, no but what, everybody what is, just well, the whole accepts movie, it. The whole movie itself is an homage to the cheesy monster movies of the 50s and 60s, you know, like Atomic Age kind of stuff. And Yeah, like them. Yeah, and, the, and so the giant ant movie. In, in a weird way, that silly name is kind of an homage to something they would call it in, the, in that time period, I think. But also it feels more 80s, like Creepazoids and Inseminoids. True, I didn't think of that. All the, the, all the 80s the, movies. The problem with a lot of the monster movies of the 80s is that they're homages to monster movies of the 50s. So Right, right. And this came out early 90s. Right. So Now visually this film just looks great. It's not in the sense of like, uh, it's not a Vim Vendors movie, road movie type of thing, or even John Carpenter, how he fuzzes out the right the focus it's not the person it's not stylized but it's also not flat and generic uh ron uh, right Underwood, except you know what but it is stylized especially compared to all of the other movies in this series oh yeah two. in comparison well i mean it's a bigger budget it's a 12 million dollar budget they got gail Ann hurd in charge who had worked with other big directors so they had some sort of vision she probably helped with that plus ron underwood at at one time was a kind of a big name director um he had a few hits under his belt and he did what, what mighty joe young and mighty joe young's fine pluto nash fine, i mean no. but but they're they're visually like heavy there's a lot of visuals going on, a lot of special effects, a lot of set pieces. Right, right. So he can handle that kind of stuff. He has a keener eye than the directors who would take over the rest of the series. So Brett Maddock and S.S. Wilson, Ron Underwood, they all went to film school together. They all knew each other. At the time, S.S. Wilson and Brett Maddock had a couple of hits under their belt, so they were able to swing, like, hey, we'll do this at a lower budget than normal for these kind of big special effects movies. This is our team. You know, this is how we're going to put this film together. And, and I guess the studio was, like, completely cool with it. Huh, that's great. Great. Well, they gave it to the guy who can direct a movie. S.S. Wilson eventually went on to direct some of the other episodes, mm-hmm. and I don't think he's up to snuff. It's interesting that they went to school together. I wonder what the focus was. I think S.S. Wilson's focus was screenplays. Yeah, well, I mean, they said they did a bunch. Of, I was listening to an interview with him before we did this, just curious to what he, his feelings were about the series. And they had done a bunch of short films together. In college, they knew how to make movies, but they weren't a big enough name to really get anything made for a while until Short Circuit was a big hit, Batteries Not Included did well, you know, and then that's how they got Tremors made. Huh. Let me just ask you, since Short Circuit's, like, not quite, but Batteries Not Included is a Spielberg-produced movie, it's an Amblin film. Right. Do you think that this movie feels Spielberg at all? Oh, yeah. It feels like just, you know, Jaws Underground. <laughs> Land Shark. Candy Graham. I think there's a visual element to it that feels that way. Also... Fantastically, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, all of the first film is during the daytime. No, there's only one sequence that's at night, where it's the lady who's camping in her car with her husband out in the middle of nowhere. Oh, right, yes. That, that's, where it gets stuck that's underground. That's really, really good. Yeah. That's a really great scene. So, okay, apart from that scene, most of the film is during the daytime, which is 
It's a horror monster movie? Mm-hmm. When do you get a daytime horror monster movie? You know what the funny thing is? There's a lot in Tremors to me that feels like a Joe Dante film. With a, yeah, okay. I mean, it's got the... That's also that's also from the Spielberg-produced yeah. school. A lot of it does feel like it, it should be part of I mean, Universal was entrenched in that world heavily. It has that comedy balance. without and It's gross without being too gross. You know, the PG-13 scary film was just kind of growing at that time. It wasn't like a huge thing yet, whereas it's commonplace now. This one hit the balance just right. Right. It, they la- somebody later tried to do that with the movie called Bats. Oh, right. Totally forgot about that movie. Bats feels a lot like a Tremors type story, but, you know, using actual giant bats, or not giant, not too giant, but ravenous bats as opposed to underground made-up creatures. So it didn't ring. It didn't have that big enough of a hook. Like, what is the... It's called Bats. I mean, you know what it is. Tremors doesn't tell you anything about what No, it is. you don't know for quite some time. A lot about what makes the first movie work is the mystery, the build. Okay, first, what is grabbing these people? You know, uh, okay, so what's this creature? You discover that this creature is part of this creature. And then it's like, well, how do you stop them? How are they detecting where you are? A lot of it's just the build-up and the payoff is always great. And the funny thing is, the Tremors uh, creatures, they adapt, they learn, whereas that's kind of a newer thing in movies back then. They didn't really do that. This is even before Jurassic Park, before the Raptors became like a big deal where they would learn and adapt it's one of the first movies i really think that didn't insult its viewers with either the characters their motivations the monsters and their motivations and how they deflect off each other so like they'll beat them this way this time whatever but they learn from that so they don't do it again it keeps the script unpredictable yeah and especially getting back to michael gross when he shows up his wife is reba mcintyre is that her first role i, I, I think believe maybe so. it was yeah that i think she might have been in a couple of tv western but I can't sure I'm not sure if it was before or after well it's the first time I ever saw her I only knew of her as a singer that I turned off yeah because I didn't like the music but here she's awesome and she's the wife of Michael Gross's character and he's pretty awesome they are both doomsday preppers before that was a term yeah I know and now it seems like hilarious because you and I both lean in a certain direction and it's it's funny at the time right. it seemed like a pure fictional character nope <laughs> yeah no no this is the interesting thing if you were to chronicle back with the Coast to Coast AM stuff and get further into the past. So I only started listening to Coast to Coast sometime in the mid-90s. Previous to that, the paranoid folk really were out there, but they were their only outlet was the radio programs like that. And that's who Michael Gross's character seems to be. And I love the reveal where they've just got two guns and they're like, it's all right, we're fine. And the things bursting through the wall are coming at them. Uh And then they turn and the camera follows and reveals this wall full of guns. It is at once perfect comedy, twice it's also scary. Yeah. (laughs) And a comment on the whole, don't take our guns thing. It's really very well written, well executed. It's a very fantastic scene. And the funny thing is, is they never really treat any of these people like they're idiots. There's moments where they make bad decisions or they get overwhelmed and they do something they shouldn't do. But at no point they might does yell it... at each other. Right. But those are those characters yelling at each other, calling each other a dummy or yeah, whatever. Yeah, but they don't... But it's not the writer. The writer loves these guys. Oh, totally. And I think a lot of this is why the first one works so well. It's... it's, it's... Well, except they don't love Melvin. Yeah. <laughs> All the characters. The only one that they all love. All the characters are pretty well written. The mystery is part of the the great joy of that first movie is the development of what the the whole thing is, and the action sequences are all well done, and and also the stylization. Well, you know, we said not not stylized, but in comparison to the other ones. It's not overwhelming. It's not a lot of sh- shaky cam and, and, and bullshit that we see now in these movies, which drives me nuts. But the first one clearly is, I would say, out of five stars, I would give it five stars. I am truly amazed by this film. Yeah, I just loved that I got to watch it again. Yeah. It it wasn't like the first time. It was like, oh, yeah, I remember watching. Oh, my God, this movie's great. You know what's funny is there's a person who comes into my sister's work and asks for copies of Tremors all the time. Every time he goes to a sale at the library... And he finds a copy of Tremors, he'll buy it. And one day she just got curious and asked him how many copies he had. And I think he said about 130 copies of Tremors. That's not cool, man. That's Give them away. Right? That's strange. I mean, if one breaks down, I guess you're good forever. <laughs> no, but no. Give them to people. Yeah. 
share. Spread the love. Cheers. Don't hoard. But speaking of Kevin Bacon, we haven't really mentioned the acting between Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward. They're good. Oh, really good. Neither of them are the straight man or the comic relief. They are both in different scenes and sometimes together. They react very well off of each other, <laughs> which is a shame because the sequel. Don't move. Don't breathe. And whatever you do, don't make a sound. Because they're back. Get off the ground, Grady! Get off the ground! Preparing the fire. What are they? We don't know. The worms changed somehow. Now we've got these things. Tremors 2. Aftershocks. Evolution. It's a bitch. Yeah, the the sequel. Okay, so you know, like we were saying, the first one did it like it broke even or it did okay in the theaters. Blew up on video, became like it's just like constant. Video stores, are, I guess, are just constantly buying new copies because it was so demanded, and Universal made so much money on it. But they, they I think, they're hemmed and hawed whether they're going to put a sequel into theaters. And I think I remember when it was first announced in TV Guide. See, so it came out of video in '96, but I believe that he announced the production had started at the end of '93 or early '94. And I think that Universal originally wanted to put this in theaters, but then they saw well, why don't we just start a home video division, save ourselves all this marketing, you know, money and sending prints out. Because remember, prints used to cost a fortune to send out to theaters and send back. Now I think it's on a USB hard drive or something. Do you know how that works? Are they no, kind of, it's, are they it's actually it's a hard drive. It's not a USB. Okay. It's actually like like a brick. Oh, okay. So, I mean, it's it's not the way it was then where it cost you bare minimum $1,000 to make a print in 35 millimeter, send it out, make sure you got it back. Now it's so much cheaper. But back then, they're just like, well, I guess they just opened their first home division. I don't think anybody ever had a direct to video home division before a studio i mean because hmm. i don't think disney was doing know. it yet fox wasn't doing it yet i think Universal's the first time to make decent budget films straight to video and the first two were dark man and the tremors and obviously tremors was the bigger hit because the series is still going dark man kind of petered out pretty fast after two movies yeah, yeah. so three movies well for dark man yeah and well two and three just tremors did. has tons well, I feel like there's more love and care put into the Tremors series than there was the Dark Man. I feel like Sam Raimi was just like, well, sure, why not? Let's just do it like at a uh, make it look like a TV movie and do it for cheap and just make some bucks off. Well, this. that's the thing with Tremors too. It started to look like a TV movie, not a bad one. No, but it started to look that way. It did. Well, I, I think two is actually the weakest. Uh, I, I separate the Tremors movies into pre-TV series and post-TV series. So you have the first four movies, which were controlled by S.S. Wilson and Brett Maddock, and I think Ron Underwood was just producing. And then you have the second segment, which looked totally different, different feel, and I don't care for him as much. Two is the weakest of those four. And I think a lot of it is because they clearly put that guy in there to be Kevin Bacon or whatever. Of Stand in. Yeah, and, and he's not good. He is not funny. He's not interesting, and I feel like he really drags the movie down. There's some good elements in it. There's some good characters in it, too. I really like Helen Shaver. Yeah, Helen Shaver's bit. I'm just going to say this. There's a moment with Fred Ward and the stand-in, Grady Hoover. That's the character's name. He is looking around Fred Ward's place, and there's a Playboy Playmate on the wall, because this was the time where you could do that. And Fred Ward laments, you know, that's... Never going to happen to him. He's never going to get his dream woman, which is apparently 1974's Playboy Playmate, whatever. Yeah. And it's just kind of like a momentary, like, throwaway lamentation scene for a moment. It's not even something that should stand out. And that's the decent part of this scene and script. It doesn't stand out too much. It's not like the camera focuses in and, look, look, there's nothing like that. Yeah. But eventually, by the end of the film, we learned that the Helen Shaver character is actually the very same, and this can only happen in movies, Playboy Playmate, and they do canoodle a little bit anyway. They get along, and they're older now, but so what? And I thought that was the, the cool slash cute part of this movie. The rest of it, I can kind of, I don't care too much about. But what's the strange thing about the Graboids here? Um, is that the Evolve. I uh, actually really enjoy this part. I, I love each entry because they would change. It, it's, it's like a big circle of how the four movies work in the evolution of the Graboids. In this one, they get to a certain age, 
and they they uh, transform into three different smaller. They they shed the skin. And they transform into three different. Here's the weird thing though: if they transform into different shriekers, into three smaller shriekers, what what do the shriekers look like? Well, they're little they're uh, little pod guys, like you know, like little. Uh, what do they look like? They look like the thing from. Um... They look like chickens, dude. Yeah, they look like yeah, skinless no, chickens there's, there's, without heads. There's a movie but though. With a, there's a oh, they, with they, they a, look like um... the creatures from Invaders from Mars, the '86 version. <laughs> a little miniature version. <laughs> uh, smaller and less bulbous. Yeah. And their faces are actually the beak thing. They still have the beak. Yeah, and they don't sense through sound. They sense through heat. And But, okay, so the husk dies then. The main creature dies, right? And it splits apart, and that's how the creatures come out. Correct? So it's their children. It's their offspring. It doesn't evolve. I don't know why I said evolve. Because it's uh, clearly it, it it dies off and they come out of it. It gives birth to them. But it's stages. So it's like larva, pupa, and so yeah. on. So it's like that. And from there, they develop in, further into the other movies, which we'll get to. Yeah. And Michael Gross is recruited here right. again. And where's the location? This is Mexico? Um, yeah. So the rest of the movie, I believe, is sh- uh, the rest of the series is shot in Mexico. Um, only the first one, I believe, was no. shot in America. So this story takes place in Mexico, where the first one took place in Perfection, Nevada. And Burt Gummer is recruited also again. Just as uh, basically a big cameo, right? Yeah, I mean, he's not in a lot of it. He's he's like the, oh yeah, he's back, right? So this is the movie that I I don't like a lot, actually. Yeah. It's not the greatest. They end up, the the second and third one end up looking the worst. Yeah, well, okay, so looking, you mean film-wise? TV movie, yeah. Do you think the five and six look better? Because I think they look worse. Uh, It's a different kind of filmmaking with five and six. Okay. Or yeah, true, yeah. digital. Um, so with me, the the second one works because, again, they write really smart characters, especially the female. The evolution of the main creature is great because this is what you have to do a lot in these franchises. Lazy writers just keep going with the same, what do you want to call it, mythology about the creature. You have to change and add things, and sometimes they go horribly wrong. I just watched Jeepers Creepers 3. Not that the first two were that great, but the first one was interesting. But they've gotten to the point now where the creature all of a sudden has nope. these new powers, and I'm like, I... What? What? I don't understand why this is all of a sudden. I can't. I know. I, I haven't even gone near that. No, I know. I know why. And I, I felt bad about it too, but I was just curious. All of a sudden, you want me to tell you? Uh, no, not okay. right now. Okay, all right. So that's the thing of the second one. So in the third one... In Perfection, Nevada... Go! Go! There's a whole lot of shaking going on. Can't run a business where your customers get eaten. Tremors 3, back to perfection. This time, they've mutated into the perfect killing machine. Great. Graboid? What? Are you kidding? For real? Now, only one team can stop these beasts. Michael Gross returns as Burt Gummer, obsessed survivalist. And people call me paranoid. Jack Sawyer, trusted sidekick. You do know which end the bullets come out of. I've seen movies. Jody Chang, second generation grocer. So this is really serious. I keep trying to tell you. These three warriors <laughs> face the ultimate challenge. Tremors 3, back to perfection. That's why we're at the top of the food chain. Kind of the same thing, but this time it's actually kind of a repeat. But they go back to yeah, they go, they go back. Well, to it was perfect. always meant to go full circle. Is they only planned it as a trilogy. S.S. Wilson and Brett Maddock wanted to go full circle, so they're like, okay, so now we're going to evolve the creature into flying creatures called ass blasters. <laughs> right, because they have to keep in line with a really stupid yeah creature name. I mean that that's a, that's a yeah, it's the kind of thing they had to once they started. They had to continue that trend. Uh, well, graboids, fine, I guess. That's shriekers so was fine, dumb. I thought, but shriekers was actually. So like that kind of makes sense, yeah. Because they shriek <laughs> well, when they notice you. Yeah. Well, the ass blasters. I, they could have called them boomers or something like that, or just blasters. Right. But they call them ass blasters. Yeah. And by this time, there are video games made. Yeah, I remember of, that. Yeah, yeah. Arcade games made of the graboids theme. They've tried to apparently Valentine. It's said in some throwaway dialogue saying that he like rode his fame as far as he could take it, but he's never mentioned in any of the other movies. Mm-hmm. But this one, they're back to perfection. Michael Gross is the key actor here. Fred Ward is no longer in it. Brings back Ariana Richards, and who was in the first movie. In Jurassic Park, yeah. And Twin Peaks' own Charlotte Stewart. Okay, I have never seen... Bobby Briggs' mom. Okay. Major Briggs' wife. 
She's been in all of the Twin Peaks. And, uh, yeah, that's how I got Twin Peaks <laughs> in Tremors. Nice. I've never seen Twin Peaks, so I have no idea about any of it. I'm always surprised by who was in it, though, because you find out, like, this person showed up in this arc. I'm like, I, they were on that show, too? Jeez, was everybody on this show? Yes, so many people were on that show. Yeah, this is this is that point where I think it, we, it became a machine for Universal. This is when they started doing tons of sequels to a lot of their stuff. They started doing the Scorpion King sequels and bring it on every year. I'm not so sure if they were even interested in a good story. They just want to keep the franchise going because it's so profitable. But at least you still got the original writers there. They're still guiding it. It's good. It's not great. I still think two is the weakest point. Well, three is the one that has a different replacement for Valentine. And this time he's just a guy who's also trying to exploit the Graboids yeah. thing. And he has a tour, which is kind of clever and stupid at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Where he takes people on this tour and he has a, a helper guy shoot dust up into the air and it's like, oh no, Graboids! <laughs> and he's covered by shrubbery, so you can't see what's actually going on. Yeah. Oh no, Graboids! Well, and then they have to wait here for a, a certain amount of time yeah. until it passes. It's it's pretty funny. I mean, yeah. I mean, clever funny. It's it's a it's a chuckle. And, and the thing about this series is they've never played the characters really smarter than you or dumber than you. They're all kind of average Joes. They're good at one thing or the other. But I, I feel like taking it back to perfection was a good idea. That way you get to see some of the people that still survived. And then also just kind of a from a budget standpoint, they still probably had the sets, so they got to reuse those. And I like the fact that they brought Chang's daughter or was his granddaughter into it, and she was probably the smartest of everybody in the entire film she was a really good character right true that and the action yeah, I, sequences i think are a little more elaborate than the second one they try to go back to the idea of the first one i think using a lot of the set pieces as defense against you know them sensing the heat though it does seem like it's kind of unpredictable with what can the ass blaster see through it's like what they hold up a door they you know, they can't see this I, I thought it was a little strange they kind of did that in the second one too i'm not sure if that logic really lines up correctly right now when i said like the second one was like the weakest one to me yeah i can't tell you a dang thing you know i've seen it other than the generic basic plot of the fourth one unexplained noises unusual disturbances and unnatural sounds will finally surface. They're coming! Now, to battle the worst of the worst... Are they following us? This small town will recruit the best. You're gonna hire a gunfight. Who might you be, sir? Black Hand Killer? Tremors 4, The Legend Begins. The exciting feature-length prequel to the smash hit Tremors. Starring original cast member Michael Gross. We stand our ground and fight to the death. With extras you can't miss. You missed with a cannon! Was that them? Tremors 4, The Legend Begins. Well, the fourth one, and I think the fourth one's the best sequel. I, I absolutely adore that one. See, so they asked him again to make another sequel. And they're like, well, we've gone full circle. We're not going to do anything else with the evolution of the creatures. And they're like, okay, what do you want to do? And they're like, well, we're definitely not doing the queen tremor worm. We're not doing that cliche like the way aliens, you know, all of a sudden every monster we want to do the queen, I guess. Yeah. By this point, was this 2002? 2003? Four. Oh, is it 2004? Four. Okay, so it is after the series i'm sorry so the tv series that happened in the middle and michael gross was in that one too and that one was more of creature of the week they did have the tremors horns but they were constantly having the freak of the week show up which bothers me about a lot of tv shows during this era it's just... huh interesting i didn't know that i thought they were always like no. variation of the graboids popping up no uh, i would say maybe a third of the sh the episodes were about the tremor worms in some way or another but a lot of the episodes were about what's the new creature this week you know uh so that's okay that makes sense why in film five michael gross is referred to as a monster hunter i get right. it right and of course there's a huge gap between those two so the fourth one but the fourth one is a cowboy movie it's right in the west so they're like well why don't we just take it back to the beginning you know so they're just like what do the tremor worms look like in the beginning okay so for me they finally reveal that they're prehistoric creatures but for a long time i really thought that they were either irradiated with uh you know nuclear waste or something like that and there were giant mutant worms or some people thought they were from outer space i think they even joke about that in one of them. That, that was like, I thought right. in three, that they, I all thought they were from outer space. Dang it. What did you think? Uh, nothing. Really? <laughs> 
I accepted it. They are strange creatures. It's not even like Feast. Feast really makes you question it. Where the heck did these monsters come from? Yeah. They're bipedal, they're humanoid, and they have spines on their back and razor-sharp claws and big old, I don't know, like a bear skull face with giant teeth. Like, what the heck is this thing? Where did this come? Like, Graboid thing, to me, since they come from under the earth, and I'm familiar with, you know, uh, Ant Lion. You know what that is? Nope. It's kind of like the thing in Star Trek that lives in the dirt Ew. and they put oh. it in the ear no stop but it's, okay yeah but it's small and tiny and it kills ants okay and it has this little cone shaped hole in the ground uh-huh the ant falls in it's at such an angle the ant falls in and it, it has a hard time climbing up and it feels the vibrations and then the ant lion pops up out of the dirt grab it pulls it in and has lunch so i know about strange things like that and i knew about strange things like that back then because i was a a kid who liked bugs and stuff. Not a hobby, but I liked bugs. So it didn't like, I was like, that's not believable in the slightest. It was believable enough. Suspension of disbelief. So I never really questioned, where did they come from? Well, I mean, here's the thing that throws it off, though, is are, are so are they just uncovering tremor worms slowly over the years? Why are there so few incidents? Why was there an incident in Arizona during that time period? But then they go a long gap without it happening again until 96. And then there's a long... No, no, there was no gap. It continued, right? It's just in different places. So why is it spread out all over the continents? So it's like the remake of Piranha. Uh-huh. There's some sort of underground cavern that has these somewhat suspended animation eggs or something that are unleashed through natural means or fracking or something okay okay that makes a lot more sense so it's that's why they're it's just a worldwide thing they weren't regional they were just see that's why for a moment i was like well that would make much more sense if they came down like in meteors or something or some other alien idea that no no that's not what it is so they're prehistoric things and and as we get along that furthers the concept uh, of it being a prehistoric creature yeah so this one takes it all the way back to his great-grandfather i think his name was armin hummer or something like that and he's a real gentleman. And he's the complete opposite of Bert. Just real. He's a dandy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just a, um, a city boy. Doesn't like guns. Doesn't really like the Old West. I can't remember why he's out there in the first place. Though. It's Hiram Gummer, dude. Okay, thank you. Armand Hammer. What did I say? Did I say Armand Hammer? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it did. <laughs> I, I, I meant to say Armand Gummer. But, um, jeez, <laughs> that really happened. <laughs> oh. See, okay, I remember some of this, which is interesting. There's a mine and all that stuff. And the, it, it's a ghost town right now because people are leaving because there's graboids attacking. Right. Right. But I don't remember Billy Drago. No, he was at, oh yeah, I forgot about that too. See, I didn't watch the series. I mean, I had him on disc for a long time, so I've seen him so many times. I watched him about two years ago. And I, I forgot, yeah, he was in that too. He was like the specialist. He was supposed to be the gun for hire and turns out he's just nowhere nearly as good as they need. But I thought some of the sequences, okay. I just thought it, it, it had more style and I, th- I think the characters are better written and I think it's funnier than the previous entries where a lot of the comedy I think kind of was a crash and burn in the second the third one i think this one's legitimately funny it, it's just interesting to see it in a completely different atmosphere than current day and i like seeing the origins of the creature and again we have really smart female characters and it goes back to the first one where the creatures are learning fast and they have to outwit it with old technology and uh, i really enjoyed that yeah i think the through line even though especially in the first one the female character isn't She's not front and center because it's a trio at any given time. Fred Ward and Kevin Bacon are front and center. And I would say probably Kevin Bacon's front and center. Probably. If you're going to pick one. But anyway, the whole series, as you said, has strong female leads. Pretty well written. Mm -hmm. And uh, the fourth, yeah. But the fifth, also. The set in Africa one. We have a situation in Africa. There's been another attack. You've got bad boys. Worms sure as hell ain't Mickey Mouse. From Universal Pictures comes the next chapter in the Tremors saga. The bitch is back. Load every gun. Come to Africa. We'll have some laughs. See some games. Tremors 5 Bloodlines. I think you'll find this useful. Where'd you get this? You don't want to know. I like your style. Well, yeah, it's not a trend that dies. I mean, even the sixth one is is pretty good. The fifth one, I was really mad at first. I feel like in the first half of the movie, they forgot Bert's character. Is it kind of a surprise, though, if you watch the first one and that through line is actually Bert Gummer's story? (laughs) (laughs) Right? So in the fifth one, I just didn't like the way it was filmed. I don't like digital video, especially cheap digital video. I know that's what only people really only film on now. But it just looks different. The lighting, the color palette, it looks terrible. And, you know, more use of the shaky cam 
It was nauseating, though, like some can be. But the director, Don Michael Paul, has no real vision, I think. He's very workman-like. He's almost TV episode-like. And it's kind of the way it was with Scream 4, where it feels like an imitation of a Scream movie instead of an actual Scream sequel. That's what Tremors 5 felt like for a while, until he ends up in that cage, and he's, like, dying of thirst, and, and they kind of get the crazy fun of the character again. And after that, the movie somehow writes itself. It's almost as if someone else had stepped in and said, okay, hold on a second, this isn't working at all. Yeah, well, that second half of the film is really great fun. I think it's because it really divides the heavy lifting among the cast instead of just having it on the two characters. Right. Are you... You have, you have Jamie Kennedy as maybe Burt Gummer's son. Maybe. Yeah. Probably. I, I, more I, than likely. I think but he, he, they he, keep he, on messing around with that as a joke. Right. But they didn't really answer that question but at the same time he's kind of resigned himself to it. Like he's just okay yeah, with it. Eventually, yeah. But uh, he shows up and that was weird because I really want somebody to groom Jamie Kennedy so he looks all right. And oh I don't my know god, yes. Possible. He looks so bad. his hair, it's not that he's older and he's slightly more bloated and he has a party lifestyle. I don't know what lifestyle he has. But his hair is just so strange and it's not intended to be strange. And I just want somebody to just fix it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not that I'm not a fan of him, because I quite enjoy him in the Scream series, and I like him in Bowfinger, but... Um, and Son of the Mask. Uh, you know, I don't even remember that movie. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's a joke or not, but I can't even remember that movie. It, that, was a, that was a joke, okay. because it's... Uh, the movie that destroyed his career. Yes. I feel like they only cast him because they're like, well, who can do horror comedy? Well, uh, we can afford. <laughs> Jamie Kennedy, yeah. right. Well, the rest of the cast is, is an African cast. Yeah. And... You have them swindled into going to Africa for some poacher thing. So that's stupid. But they end up working against the poachers, and that's great. Yes. And there's some cool stuff in a cavern with Kennedy and all this stuff. So it's it's not a terrible film. It's got some really good things to it. Yeah, it's, it's just that first half. Style of filmmaking. I was so bummed by. Yeah, it, the first half is the hurdle. The rest of the movie's good. All the action pieces, they're in Africa, so there's some African folk with them. So it starts with some white Africans getting killed, and the rest of the film that they hook up with are there's like a bush pilot there's a lady and is that her daughter and uh, another guy that works with them on a reserve and they're the people who this is really why it's so good because the scenes don't just go here Burt Gummer and Jamie Kennedy you guys are in a situation everybody gets a good situation it's it's kind of going back to the first movie where everybody works together and the special effects on the worm what do you think not bad i actually like the new design too yeah it's meaner looking it's tougher and it leaps through the air (laughs) (laughs) but it's based on it's not because it flies it's because it builds up enough speed underground and kind of launches itself outwards they kind of i think if i remember correctly they kind of play with the idea a little bit in one of the movies doesn't it where it kind of has enough force it can launch itself out of the ground a little bit yeah well that's the fifth one bloodline yeah it works out and they get a bunch of the tribes people it's a really good ending. I liked it. I really enjoyed it. I like six better but, though. Six, uh, I, I just something about it, but I still think it's hilarious that they're all about. Oh, it's called a cold day in hell, so it's gonna be set in the snow. How'd you get this number? You from the government? Impossible. Improbable. Ass blasters in the Arctic. Welcome to the Boyd Canyon Arctic Research Station. If you've got ass blasters, you have graboid. Couple of tablespoons of cement and harden the hell up, huh? Tremors, a cold day in hell. How do you not die? You never die. No, not really. No. <laughs> it's set no. in the desert. They, uh, but, but they shot in a way to make it look like a, a cold like desert. Snow. Yeah. Right. But, but I, I, wanted, I wanted to see it in the snow. And then they, t- I looked at the filmmaking notes about it on Wikipedia. And the original plans was to shoot it in Eastern Europe. And I guess because of some hideous storm that they couldn't film there. And I'm like, well, I thought it was supposed to be in the storm. Okay, whatever. Well, could they shoot it in Canada? Nope. They, sh- nope. they shot it in South Africa again. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, okay. Uh, kind of like where you, down here you would have white plains new mexico that place is just like blistering white now yeah. i can imagine if you throw a blue gel over the lens you're gonna have it look kind of like snow does it snow at and all then you do some where you huh? does it snow at all where you live because winter must be different for you than it is up here 
last winter it did indeed wow. snow here. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't snow a lot crazy. here. I mean, because I'm on the West Coast, but up in Oregon, it does get really, really cold. And when I say really cold, I mean like 28 degrees. <laughs> oh, such a whip compared to Indiana weather. Yeah, I understand. The sixth one has personal connection between the first movie and Burt Gummer knowing the father of this character who ends up being who valentine and uh ronda's kid from the first movie yeah see that was lost on me i probably was like crash coursing this entire thing and just the names got jumbled i didn't realize this so now it makes a little bit more sense but also valentine's not around ever so how see i just assumed that it was just a doomsday prepper that michael gross knew Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, why is this like a part of the story? <laughs> why is this? Now it makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, and I I feel like this might be the last entry in the series. I mean, how old is Michael Gross now? How well, Not the last entry, but I mean the last really full arc of his character. Now he's accepted basically being a father of Jamie Kennedy. He's come extremely close to death, but in a different way. This is one of those slow burns where he gets infected and it's like tearing Oh, apart. he gets infected from another movie. Did, it was that, that was from the fifth one. Okay, I was wondering I because I, I was like watching it. See, I that I, I have a cell phone in my hand sometimes when I'm looking at my phone and uh, watching a movie at the same time because I miss details. And I, I feel like maybe his story is kind of told and maybe it's time for him to step back. Maybe the next one will be like an and Michael Gross where he maybe just like, oh, helps out as a advisory or comes in at the last minute to save the day. I mean, how much... You do- need one of these guns. Yeah, I mean, I, just, right, I can't imagine bye. him still running around and he's got to be like in his 70s now. He's got to be. Yeah, I, I just don't feels think the, pat- it needs another sequel. No, it's kind of told the full story. But you know they're going to if it's profitable maybe it's time to hand it off to um jamie kennedy and maybe the the daughter of valentine but also it kind of shows that universal is trying to do a tv series of tremors and they changed their mind so i don't know maybe they're like well we can't kill the film franchise but at the time they're entertaining well maybe this is the last entry maybe we should move on to a tv show since kevin bacon is finally not ashamed of the first movie which shocks me you know it's great before we get into the series this story set in canada way up way super up high north like close to the circle i'm sure and darpa is involved in the big bad government and student researchers and they're geologists and this is how they figure stuff out like they unleash it this is the underground prehistoric thing this is how it's totally revealed that there always been prehistoric versions of them that are now waking because you can like let's just say freeze a cockroach and then thaw the cockroach and it's alive and they'll sing songs to you. No! <laughs> so that's how they they basically drill and then they hit a cavern or hit one and then it wakes them up and they're mad and they start running amok. But at the same time, DARPA's up there going like, hey, 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 we got robot dogs over down in Boston Dynamics. We've got Harp over there in Alaska doing strange weather control. Over here, we've got Graboids. Let's get them and turn them into weapons. And therein is the real drama. Yeah. When, when I heard that they were going to weaponize the Graboids, I was like, oh, dear God. They're going to give them rocket launchers and machine guns, aren't they? We're going to be riding tremors. <laughs> no, you know, they are the weapon. I know. I didn't realize that all the time because I was like, why don't we hit a new low? I even told somebody about them. Like, oh, my God. I think they're going to arm the tremor worms and send them, like, out into war. Oh, and he's like, oh, the series um, is done. Well, they did do that with Dolphin. Dolphin and dogs in World War II. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. I, was gonna, I, I, I think you were going to say they, they armed them in uh, Sequest DSV. And I was like, well, okay, that was a sci-fi show. So I get it. Okay. But anyway, uh, this one is also very similar. It's kind of the same filmmaking team, I think, as the, the last Jamie Kennedy episode. Yeah, it is. Um, same director, same crew, probably. So it, it has similar special effects. Uh, right slant which is pretty good they do this time combine more um practical and cg stuff because they trap it in a in a crate Mm -hmm. and that is practical and i was like hey i can tell it's practical they they're actually near it and they can touch the beak that's pretty cool you know yeah the only problem is now now clearly they can't afford gillis and woodruff or whatever company you said they had amalgamated yeah dude i mean are there really any special effect guys left it seems like all of them have just moved on i stan winston's gone rick baker retired chris wallace is off making art in portland it just seems like like the big special effect guys are really around anymore so 
so these new creature ideas are kind of disappearing. Hmm. I, it's all, well, it's all CG now. Yeah. Or, I know, or but it's a combination. Just, it's, yeah. it's a combination of CG and practical, which is now the thing to do. Yeah. Marry them. And I, I kind of hope the series, in a way, is done. That's the problem with Universal, is that as long as there's money to be made internationally on Netflix or whatever it is with selling these, they just continue chucking them out. I can't believe there's still Death Race and Scorpion King movies coming out. I mean, just it keeps going and going. The Chucky movies are pretty decent, though, considering those are now direct-to-video. But speaking of a series, like we've been talking about a film series here and a television series in the early 2000s, but recently Kevin Bacon shot a pilot for Tremors. So what happened to that hot guy who killed all the Graboids? I heard something. I thought you killed all the Graboids. So did I. So did the world. But maybe we were wrong. You're trying to live in a memory that doesn't exist anymore because everything else has changed. Couldn't pass up a chance to be the hero again. Okay, fine. You all bury your heads in the sand, which, if I'm right, is a really stupid place to put your heads. Right, there must be some other explanation. We've had false alarms before. I had another vision. She's getting closer. You want them back, just like the good old days, right? I got him, I got him. Oh! Nothing works here! I've been through all this before. <laughs> they don't plan, they don't strategize, they just kill. Him coming back, I guess, perfection. His story up now and the graboids are totally different looking very much more horrific looking i think they're not kind of cute anymore Uh uh-huh they're terrifying actually like i can imagine something like that being a real thing because whatever we find under the sea or in the arctic or antarctic we find these really strange looking things and they're from our earth and they look alien they look not right (laughs) and they exist so this thing as it is that i've briefly seen i'm fine with it okay it's cthulhu spawn or something i don't know (laughs) i'm cool with it but i have only seen the trailer yeah i don't know where to see the pilot where do you see the pilot? I, I, I don't know if they have released the pilot. I was just curious. So for some reason, I thought you had seen it. Well, did you see who was behind it, though? Who who made it? I know that Kevin Bacon is in it. Who's behind it? Uh, Vincenzo Natale directed it, and it was uh, written and produced by... Uh, I don't know the guy's name. Andrew something. But he was in Nothing and Cube. You know the tall redhead guy? Yeah. He, okay, Miller. Yeah, he was going to be the showrunner for it. What? Yep. What? And they? Okay, now I'm mad. Yep. Good God! I know you know how much Dolly. of a fan of Vincenzo Natale I am. That I'm just like really and upset. me and me and Miller and nothing, nothing. Cipher, cipher, yeah. Cipher, cube. Come on, uh, that chaps my hide, as they say. Yep, it's a bummer. Yeah, I still, um, I don't understand note. what sci-fi is doing. <laughs> what, what, does sci-fi have so many things in their plate that's so much better? I, I just uh, maybe. No. What I'm guessing is this is what they probably looked at. First off, the film series is still going, so they might have to kill that. Two, Kevin Bacon isn't cheap. He is not cheap. To afford him for a sci-fi channel show is going to be rough, especially especially with uh, you count all special effects in it. And three, maybe he didn't want to commit to a full season like the way they do on sci-fi anymore. I mean, he might have wanted to only do eight, and they were like, well. Come on. Do a limited series. Just do ten episodes. Right? That's it. Done. And you can do another done. limited series later, like the way the BBC does it. That's what American audiences need to come to the realization is that TV's much better off when you do it in chunks, like the way the British do. Yeah, I agree with you. But that's it. Tremors. Uh, mo- mostly all right, but definitely the first one's great. Oh man, yeah. I guess that's it. Yep, that's it. Thanks for making me watch these again. At least the first one. Way to go, dudes. <laughs> It's my favorite reading because it's so awkward. (laughs) When Milton, yeah, when he goes, way to go, dudes, at the end of the first one when they finally beat one of the creatures. (laughs) You know that's not the take he wanted them to put in the film. (laughs) (laughs) He's just goofing off. (laughs) He's like, no, I was just, I'm tired. Can can we try that again? We're done? Oh, crap. I have another one in me. (laughs) All right. Uh, That's it. All right. We're done. We're out. Good night, everybody. Good night. Moneybags. I wasn't even rich. He shaved off his beard. Holy crap. Land shark. Candy Graham. Don't take our guns. Yeah, I all thought they were from outer space. Dang it. Bear skull face with giant teeth. No, stop. Ew. Come on. Uh.